This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson. I am joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you doing? Oh, not too bad, mate. How's things with yourself? Yes, good. Grinsby won at the weekend, which we love to see. Um, so... Makes my weekend a little bit nicer and easier, but uh, all good at this end. Thank you very much. As always, quick reminder to subscribe to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. And as always on today's podcast, we're going to be breaking down all the key talking points from another hectic weekend of Championship action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Start that breakdown at the Den, where the pressure on Valerine Ismail grew 10 to the dozen after Millwall beat West Brom 2-0 um, in a fiery affair on Saturday. Pressure definitely building on Valerine Ismail, as we've seen through the atmosphere at the Hawthorns. Um, things are certainly turning the wrong way from a, from a baggies point of view. The relationship between Ismail and the supporters the style of play, there's been a clear breakdown in that relationship. And when we've we've said all along, you know, we've been big fans of Valerie Ismail, particularly what he did with Barnsley last season. But when you play a style of football that is not as easy and attractive on the eye, you've got to get results. Fans will put up with it, but not if you're losing game after game. And to be quite honest, West Brom's form, certainly in the last two months, has been pretty horrific um, by their obviously very high standards. Currently fifth in, fifth in the table as we record. Could drop below that on points per game, depending if teams can win those games in hand in and around them. Um, but it's 13 points they've collected from the last 11 games. That's, that's the 13th best record in that time. 16 points from 15 away matches all season. It's quite clear to see where the problems lie. One win in their last 10 away games as well. And the style of football at West Brom is clearly just not marrying with the supporters now. The board gave Ismail a four-year deal in the summer. They've backed him in the transfer market with the signing of Daryl DK. Of course, he's now injured and going to be out for um, at least a couple of weeks, we believe, so he's going to miss some games. They've signed Andy Carroll. He went straight into the starting eleven. But for me, it's the fact that they're just not scoring goals, particularly away from home. And I don't understand with the quality of players they've got available how that can be the case. You know, you've still got a selection of Garland Grant, Callum Robinson, Grady Dean Garner, Matt Phillips, um, Andy Carroll now as well. So for him not to be able to get a tune and not really know where he's going with his best attack, it spells real problems. Now defensively, they've been excellent at the Hawthorns. They've got the best record in the division. But away from home, it's not translating. And teams, teams are being able to stifle them. And they've been able to expose that very high back line. And we saw that with one of the goals at the weekend, the second one where Benikafobi just turns Matt Clark in and out and it's an unerring finish. It was a, you know, a flashback to prime Benikafobi, uh, him at his best, uh, to score that, secure that first win of 2022 for the Lions. But just focusing on West Brom for now, it's a real concern that they can't seem to get any sort of consistency away from home. And even the performances at home, you know, you go back to the Peterborough game that they won 3-0 last weekend. They didn't score till the 78th minute and things were starting to build and get a little bit toxic in the Hawthorns until three quick-fire goals. And if you look at it on the face of it, you're like, oh, they won 3-0 at home if you've been out at the in the afternoon or whatever. But when you dig a little bit deeper, 
things are a concern at West Brom. And I'm interested to get your thoughts, George, on, on whether you think Valerie Nismo should be under pressure for his job, even though they are fifth in the table, because there is a clear disconnect between the fans and the football. The football isn't going to change. He's not going to change his style of play. Can it still work? Or should he be given, you know, they're still in the playoffs ultimately, they still got a chance of promotion. Where do you stand on his man? Well, he's certainly under pressure. There's there's no doubt about that. And he has to be. At the end of the day, West Bromwich Albion had one objective at the start of the season and that was automatic promotion. And that has, has slipped away very, very quickly. And when you consider how well they started this season, they looked really good. They looked a good unit. They were scoring goals and they were threatening to blow teams away on occasions. But in the last last six to eight weeks or so, their form has fallen off the face of a cliff. They're struggling to score goals, which is not a great start. Obviously, they're not, they're not winning games. They're, they're now beginning to lose games quite heavily in terms of the amount of games. They've lost four of the last six now, one win in that time. And like you said there with the, the Peterborough win, it was it was a very late rally and it kind of disguised the performance as a whole. It wasn't particularly great. They've gone to Millwall again at the weekend and it was a result I saw coming a mile off. I, I have to be honest, I did fancy Millwall ahead of this one with the way West Brom have been going, certainly away from home. And let's not forget, since we've recorded, they obviously had the 2-0 defeat at home to Preston as well. So, Valerie Newsmill is certainly under pressure and he has to be. There, I've, I've seen some rumours flying around this afternoon. We're recording on Sunday that apparently they're considering a change. I don't know if there's any any truth to those rumours. It wasn't the most reliable account, shall we say, that I've seen on social media claiming that. But I think it's a very, very difficult one because, like you said, the amount of attacking talent that West Bromwich Albion have got, yes, it may be not the flashiest uh, and things like that, but there's enough in that team that it should be scoring goals. Grady the Garner has been a shadow of the player he was two years ago. Carlin Grant, even though he scored goals this season, has not performed to the levels consistently you would expect of his quality. Callum Robinson, the same. But just a few stats, I mean... They've scored seven goals in 12 games. Let's remember three of those came in about a nine or ten minute burst. They've failed to score in three of the last four. It, it just doesn't look good. It really doesn't look good. And now they've got Middlesbrough, Huddersfield, Nottingham Forest hot on their heels. And all of a sudden, West Brom, who were threatening to be genuine automatic contenders, are in grave danger of missing out on the playoffs altogether. So it's a really tough one because Valerie Ismail... He's not a bad manager. You don't become a bad manager overnight. He proved it at Barnsley what, a, what an excellent coach he is with lesser players with respect. But does his so football for, have its limitations in terms well, it of seems to, doesn't the it? type of player they can and team they can do that with? That's the thing. It seems to be. And obviously the West Brom fans, as you said, are growing restless with the style of play, which is understandable when they're not winning games. And like you said, if they're winning games, they, they're willing to put up with it. But West Brom are not getting either thing right at the moment. So I think the board face a very, very difficult decision, a really, really difficult one. Personally, I would I would give him the chance to try and turn things around, personally. I don't think it's time to pull the trigger just yet. I mean, every team experiences a bad patch, but I think it's the fact that West Brom are, are simply struggling just to put the ball in the net that is probably the biggest concern of all. So I wouldn't be wouldn't be pulling the trigger just yet. I would stick by him a little while longer. But as I say, in most of these situations, he has got to turn it round and quickly because West Brom's season, quite simply, has fallen apart at this moment in time for their respective ambitions. Yeah, I would be surprised if they made a change because they did give him that four-year deal in the summer. And I'm not suggesting that a football club won't 
reverse that. They certainly wouldn't be the first to decide one minute to, to hand a long-term contract and then sack someone a few months later. But to then spend the best part of eight figures on Daryl DK, someone you know who's a very good footballer and will have resale value given his age and his, his record, but clearly is someone that was Valerie and Ismail's pick. It was very much the striker that he will have wanted, someone he's worked with and his top choice. So to do that in January as well, just a few weeks ago, I don't see them making a change there. Big win for Millwall as well. Should give them some credit. Really liked what I saw. I really like Benekafobi and I think he can get back to somewhere near that best form that we saw when he was at Wolves, when he played briefly with Bournemouth in the Championship as well. Um, it was a bit of a throwback to him at his best, you know, running at people, using his strength and his pace. Um, and it was a lovely finish as well to, to toy with Matt Clark. The first win for them this year, which had gone under the radar a little bit in my book. QPR 4, Reading 0. Um, this was a game where Lyndon Dykes was at his best. Two really good goals. Albert Adoma continuing his, his brilliant form recently in the right wing-back role. Um, two lovely crosses for Dykes to head into the back of the net. And it leaves them one point behind Bournemouth and very much still in the automatic promotion race. Um, they've been great, QPR, recently. And Ben Amos came into the team this weekend and he certainly looked bright, took his goal very well. And since the African Cup of Nations, and I feel like we've said this on a few podcasts, since Chair went, Semi Dieng went, they've only dropped one point. So they've been absolutely fantastic. Um, and David Marshall pulled off a really good save, albeit at 4-0, to, to keep Lucas Joao at bay. He's been a good signing as a stopgap, proving he can still do it after falling out of favour at Derby County. And QPR were, were excellent, but phew, bloody hell, Reading. No clean sheet since October horrendous defending like the goals the good goals from QPR's point of view but they're, they're not particularly like amazingly crafted are they the, the the amount of space that the person that finishes the chance off has in the area is absolutely criminal for quite a lot of them um, and they haven't conceded 23 goals in a single month since 1930 that's how many goals they've conceded in six matches this season including the FA Cup defeat to Kidderminster they've conceded nearly an average of four goals a game for an entire month. That is abysmal. And with some of the other results that have gone today, they are definitely the most likely team to go down if Derby or Peterborough can rally. Yeah, let's let's start on the negative note first. I mean, we discussed it last week, didn't we? The predicament that Reading are in at the moment. And it, it's not good. It really isn't good, both on and off the pitch. Obviously, they've got all kinds of problems going off behind the scenes. And obviously, the points deduction has dragged them right into the thick of the problems as it is. But... The statistics make for horrific viewing. It's it's horrendous. I've never known a Reading side be on such a slump that I can remember. 16 championship games now without a clean sheet. One winning 12. They've won one championship game since the 6th of November. It's February, and as we record, in little over 24 hours' time. Five championship defeats in a row. I mean, Paunovic, I don't know how he's clinging on. I've, I've seen... A lot of discussion amongst Reading fans in response to our tweets this week that are saying it's down to the financial situation. They cannot afford to get rid of him. But Reading have got to make a serious decision. They've got to make a judgment now whether they can afford to let him go or they can afford afford relegation. It's the FFP and I don't think financial fair, I don't think manager sackings comes into part of that, does it? Unless I'm wrong. And they're not short of cash. That's That's been the problem. They've spent too much of it badly. Not that they've not had enough money. And one thing they I will just, just add on Reading, something that concerns me more is, if you look at the team that played at the weekend, it's not far off full strength now. You're still missing Ajaria, 
but it's not a million miles away. I mean, Liam Moore's not going to play again, it would seem, because of the falling out he's had with the manager. So if you t- apart from those two, it's not far off full strength. Yeah, that is that is correct. And I mean, something is obviously seriously wrong within the harmony of the team, the management and everything. It's just when things are not going for you and they're not going for you, this is it. And it's a horrendous slump that they're on. And when you paint a picture of how things have gone for for Reading this season, in comparison, just for example, to Derby, Reading are two, point, uh, two places above Derby. Reading have got have lost double the amount of games that Derby have. It's remarkable, really. But as you, as we said last week, the run that they're on is just it's torrid. It's absolutely horrendous, and I see no no end to it at the minute. They've conceded eight goals now in two league games, four in the last two of each. It's a real problem that they've got to address, and the question is, how do they go about doing it? Because when you're in a rut like this, it is it is incredibly hard to get out of it, and. At the minute, I just see no end to the way things are going for Reading. I really don't. But moving on to a positive with QPR, I mean, what a job Mark Warburton's done there. It's absolutely terrific. And a statistic I've worked out earlier on today that they're now only two points away from reaching 100 championship points since the start of 2021. That is a heroic achievement to have done that in, in 13 months. That's a tremendous achievement for Queen's Park Rangers. But the run that they're on at the minute, I mean, they're flying, aren't they, at the moment? Four wins, uh, five wins in six, three clean sheets in the last four games, scoring goals, looking solid defensively. Lyndon Dykes back in the goals. And, and we've spoken, obviously, a lot in the last few months about how Blackburn Rovers have done such an outstanding job in getting into the position where they are. QPR have done exactly the same. and it, And... Mark Warburton, I know, Elliot, you're a massive fan of his. You always have been. In comparison to Blackburn, would you say which one, if it's possible to pick one between the two, because obviously they've both done so well, who has overachieved the more out of the pair of them two this season? Because they've both defied expectations by a long, long way. I would probably have to say Blackburn, just because of the fact they lost Adam Armstrong in the summer. I think QPR were gearing towards a promotion push a little bit more, so they got a bit of momentum. That's not to say they haven't overachieved, but I think if you looked at pre-season predictions, for example, I think a lot of people thought Blackburn were going to struggle, particularly because of the way they ended last season so poorly, because of the fact they lost the talisman striker. So to rally in the way they have, I would I would probably have to lean with Blackburn. Um, but if you put a gun to my head and said who will finish higher now, I would say I think QPR will finish up with Blackburn right, right at this given moment. Um, but we will see plenty of football still to be played. Hull City 2, Swansea City 0. Shoba Abulabsi, um, he got his full debut in the dugout this weekend for Hull City after replacing Grant McCann. We haven't recorded a podcast since Grant McCann got sacked because that was at the start of last week after we'd already released our episode. Um, but new owner Akun Ilisai, um, with the decision to pull the trigger after taking over, he, it was pretty evident that Grant McCann wasn't going to be his man from the minute the, the deal got ratified. Despite the victories over um, Blackburn and Bournemouth, over Blackburn and Bournemouth, the previous week, um, it was clear that he was going to make a change for the long-term strategy of the football club. Whether you think that's right or wrong, none, nonetheless, it's better than leaving Grant McCann lingering a little bit um, with with uncertainty. And they got the result that they would really want, and that's three wins in a row now for the Tigers. Um, Tommy is grabbing his second goal in in three matches. Pretty big for him. And uh, Keen Lewis Potter, who got the second. He's had big interest from Brentford this month. 
and bids around the 10, 12 uh, million pound mark have been rejected. Uh, Akun has said that he's absolutely crucial and they're not going to let him go this month, even if 20 million pound comes on the table. And I think that's the right approach. I think Hull City are definitely in a good spot. They've still got some clear upwards momentum. But we saw with what happened with Bowen and Grzycki when they got sold. If you lose your star man, that could really deal rail the second half season. And they're not far enough away from the bottom of the league that they're in a position they can start looking beyond the summer, in my opinion. So they need to keep him. Uh, they need to keep winning games. What do you think of the Grant McCann situation there? I kind of think that... I think he did a decent job at Hull. I'm not sure he did a good enough job that I can be absolutely outraged that a new owner's wanted to come in and take his own man in with him. All I would say is you hope that it's not a trend where they are signing relatively unknown players that aren't good enough for the level purely because they're Turkish or have got Turkish links, which is something the owner's clear, clearly trying to promote and has said as much that he wants to try and bring that Turkish heritage. So Ryan Babel was linked. <laughs> Do you remember him? Because he, and obviously he played in Turkey for a bulk of his career after leaving Liverpool. So I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. We'll see where they get to between the end of the season, but it's certainly going to be interesting. He's clearly quite a live wire. The Simon Cowell of Turkey. Um, Akun Elisai. What, what, were you surprised, Grant McCann? Well, probably not surprised that Grant McCann went, but do you, do you think that he has a right to feel aggrieved? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because off the back of the two results that he got just prior to his, to his sacking, he, he can feel aggrieved because it was two terrific results, two clean sheets as well that nobody saw coming, especially the, the win over Blackburn with the run they were on. So I think in that sense, yeah, it did come as a surprise. But I think it w- it already seemed in the pipeline as though it was going to happen eventually when this takeover was completed, that Grant McCann was going to have to say his goodbyes. And it's often the case, isn't it, when foreign owners come in, they often want their own man. We've seen it many, many times in the past, particularly in this league. So it's no great surprise in that, in that, uh, in that sense. But... I do think it was harsh in the sense that he'd come off the back of two brilliant results, but it is what it is. The new owner wanted his own man and he's got him. But on the pitch as a whole, Hull City at the moment, what an upward curve they're on. It's been a terrific couple of weeks almost for them. It really has. Obviously, they got the win over Blackburn, clean sheet, win at Bournemouth, clean sheet. Swansea at home, arguably the easiest of those three games on paper. Another win, another clean sheet and a couple of terrific goals. Really well worked the first one. So many passes in the builder before Tommy stabs it in. And you've mentioned about Keen Lewis Potter a few minutes ago about his importance. For me, the importance of that team has been the return of George Honeyman. Him to form has really, really kicked all City on. And I've, I've worked out quite a lengthy stat this afternoon on George Honeyman that's going on the Twitter page on Monday. Um, I haven't got it to hand to remember all the information from it, but let's just say. The amount of points they've picked up when he's on the pitch to when he's not is a considerable difference. And it proves how important he is to their to their plans and moving forward. So if they can keep him fit, then they should be fine going into the uh, remainder of the season. But like you say, Keen Lewis Park, they're going to want to keep hold of him. I've already had discussions with a few people that have told me that they fear he has got more potential in his locker than Jared Bowen. Big statement for the player that Jared Bowen's proven to be in the last year or so since leaving Hull and going to West Ham. So... It's it's going to be interesting to see what Hull do, but at the moment, it's going in the right direction. I don't know enough about the new manager to really pass comment. It's a completely unknown figure to me, but he's got off to a winning start. He's continued the trend, the good run that Grant McCann had left them on. 
So the perfect start, but for Hull as a whole, for the fans and everything, it almost feels like they've got the club back and they're heading in a good direction at the minute. Yeah, you hope that... My only slight fear would be that we hope that this ownership... I feel like if new owners have come in and done what they've done and it hadn't been because they were so desperate to get rid of the Alams, there might be a few more concerns raised. But we'll see how things go. You know, Not just any owner is better than the Alams. That's not what we want for the future of Hull City. But we're not judging him at this point. We'll see how things progress. But I do think maybe there'd be a few more doubts and question marks if it wasn't for the relief of getting the Alams out of the club, in my opinion. Um, for Swansea, just no cutting edge whatsoever to their possession. And that's been a common theme throughout January. Obviously, they got the win last week against Preston, but it was a very fine margin game, which, to be honest, could have ended 0-0 or 1-0 either side. And it seems the transfer window has really been a huge distraction for them on the pitch. It feels like almost the on-field um, games have been you know, secondary to, to what's been going off in the transfer window. Joel Perot's goals have dried up. Obviously, they're missing Jamie Patterson quite badly at the minute. No sort of breakthrough on what's going to happen with his future. And I don't think they're going to get dragged into anything, but it's just, they're in a weird spot right now. I feel like they've, they're have lacking momentum and, and some of their best players are out of form or not playing at the minute. Plenty for Russell Martin to do there at the, at the Liberty Stadium. Cardiff City 2, Nottingham Forest 1. Massive, massive, massive win for Steve Morrison's team. And I have to say, and I feel like the, the coverage around Cardiff has been quite negative from some of the podcasts I listen to. I understand they've been pretty poor this season. Worst home record in the division. But I feel like they've definitely been a better team under Steve Morrison than they were under Mick McCarthy. And I feel like this sort of result has been coming. Um, a lot of change to the starting eleven when we look at it. John Hugel coming in up front on loan, on loan from Norwich after his loan was cut short at West Brom. Um, he started up front with Matt Wat- Max Waters, who of course was recalled from his loan at MK Dons at the start of January. Alfie Dowerty's coming at left wing back um, on loan from Stoke City to replace Ryan Giles, who may or may not still be coming back to the Cardiff City Stadium. Looking at this game, Perry and G had a stormer, I thought, at right wing back. I thought he was really impressive up against Jed Spence. Um, and they were excellent, Cardiff. They had more energy in midfield. I thought Rawls in particular stood out as well in that midfield battle. And they've obviously brought Ryan Wintle back from Blackpool. He was on loan there. So it's a, it's a much-changed Cardiff City team from the team that was playing at the start of the season and struggling. And yes, they've, Steve Morrison has been in charge for, what, over 10 games now. So clearly he's had a chance to put his stamp on things. But when you look at that team, you know, Cody da- uh, Drame coming in at right wing back, a different player entirely. Um, Alfie Doughty at left wing back. Perry and G, Sean Morrison, Mark McGuinness back three. Tommy Doyle's a new signing, of course, from Manchester City. Ryan Wintle was on loan at... Blackpool, as I've just said, and then Waters and Hugel is a completely different eleven. Apart from Smithies, Morrison, McGuinness, Perry, and G in roles, that's a completely different eleven. And I feel like their performances have been better, but it was time they got some results for it. And certainly, they've got to turn around the form at the Cardiff City Stadium, which we've we've known it as being one of the toughest places to go in the Championship. But certainly over the last eighteen months, that hasn't been the case. And I thought Cardiff were well worthy of the victory and, and Forrest were quite quite sluggish to be honest which is not something we've associated with them I think the loss of Joe Worrell really disrupted them and the, the 3-4-3 that they had been playing at times they've played Ryan Yates as a centre-back to stick with the 3-4-3 formation but they went back to a back four for this one 4-2-3-1 it, it just didn't work for them they, they, they seem to be feeling the after effects of three games in a week and I think 
you know, the the changing system really affected them. But I thought credit Cardiff. I thought Cardiff were excellent. Yeah, totally agree. I watched the game on Sunday afternoon in its entirety, and I thought Cardiff were were very good. And albeit against what I would describe, and this is quite surprising, the way they've been on a, a bang average Forest side. I thought they were very out of sorts, Nottingham Forest on Sunday afternoon. I watched the game against Barnsley last Tuesday evening, and admittedly Barnsley were poor, but I was impressed with Forest. I thought they really took the game to them, played some nice stuff at times. But on Sunday afternoon, I mean, they were a shadow of their usual selves, which has been so unusual under Steve Cooper. But like you said, three games in a week, they've been on a terrific run. It's probably just caught up with them and they've had one of those days at the office. But for Cardiff, a huge win, one that they really, really did need to get. And that was their first win in seven games. They'd lost four of the last six going into that one. So they really needed to get things going again. It seems like the, the arrival of Jordan Hugel gave them a bit of a lift, literally signed hours before kickoff and scores within six minutes of his debut. So you talk about making an impact, he certainly did that. Uh, overall, I thought Cardiff were the better side. They fashioned more of the chances. They enjoyed more of the more of the play. And like I say, Forrest just weren't at the races. And, and Cardiff took full advantage of that. So it's a big win for them. It drags them away from immediate danger. They're not out of it yet, not by any stretch, but it, it gives them something to build on. And that's what they've got to do now. They've got to build on it because when you look at their form over the course of the season, the longest winning run they've had all season is two games. That's where the problem lies. They've got to find some consistency. And obviously, they had that torrid run between September and October when they lost something like eight or nine on the trot. So they've got to make the most of this now and, and utilise it and build on it. But Credit where credit is due. They can enjoy enjoy that victory. They deserve to win the game, but they've got to build on it. So, no getting carried away, but fingers crossed to step in the right direction. Hopefully, Jordan Hugel can add a bit of firepower up front and get back to his best what he did at Preston. Yeah, absolutely. It feels like that's been the difference between them and someone like Hull, for example. Hull have had those spells of runs where, obviously, they were really good in November. They're now on a three-game winning run. We've not seen that from Cardiff. The wins have been too here, uh, far and here and far between, if we're being honest. They've not had enough coherent runs of form. That's been a real problem for them. Barnsley nil, Bournemouth won. Um, Bournemouth pretty much gifted this win, if we're being honest, by a pretty dreadful error from Bradley Collins. First to completely come out and miss the ball entirely, and then to make a complete hash of Philip Billings' header. Like He could have caught that, like, but got nowhere near it. I have to say, it was really windy in Barnsley. Obviously, I live in Barnsley and before I off to the Grimsby game. It was really windy down there. So, the conditions not helping probably with that one, but he got nowhere near it. It was it was just bad defending, wasn't it? Which we've come to expect from Barnsley. Barnsley, to be fair to them, they did apply some pressure in the second half. They certainly didn't give Bournemouth an easy ride, but just no cutting edge going forward. And the protests continue against the ownership and the, the board, which... They're just not happy with. They don't feel like there's been enough money invested in the squad. Um, and Bournemouth needed a victory by hook or by crook, and and they were gifted it a little bit. But they got over the line. They they saw off the barrage of pressure from Barnsley. Um, and despite a late red card for Gary Cahill, they came away with all three points. Yeah, you're right. It was one of those games where, however it came, they had to win. I think it's a case of that. They had to find a way just to. Just get back on track after a little bit of a stumble in the last few weeks. I mean, they'd obviously lost to Hull last weekend, lost to Luton the week before, so they'd lost their way a little bit. So they'll be pleased to have got back to winning ways. By no means a vintage, classic Bournemouth performance that we've been used to seeing, certainly in the first half of this season. But like you say, it was just a win that they needed to get. And 
Philip Billing, the main man, using his power and his strength in the air to get the job done. And he's already equaled his tally now for the whole of last season. And you'd have told me two years ago that Philip Billing was going to become this goal scoring sensation. I'd never have believed you. He's been unbelievable, really, over the last 20, 20 months or so, 18, 20 months. His goal scoring form has really took off. So credit to him. But for Scott Parker, it will have been, it will have been a huge sigh of relief, I think, just to have got that win on the board, a, a solid away win, clean sheet as well. So, fingers crossed, it's a chance to to kick them back on again. But at the same time, it's important not to be too critical. They've won three of the last five, three clean sheets in that time. So, it's not all bad. But I think, obviously, when you're comparing it to the standard that they set so early on in the season and everybody's going to look to that, you've just got to try and weigh it up a little bit. But the one point off the automatic promotion places, if you'd have offered a Bournemouth fan that all the way back in August at this stage, they'd have snapped your hand off. A little bit of a wobbly patch, but hopefully this is the beginning of a good run again for them. Yeah, definitely. They're expected to be quite busy in the in the next 24 hours at the end of this transfer window, Bournemouth. Um, so Ricky Dembele's reportedly seen a, a fee agreed for him. Joe Rothwell's been linked as well. He was left out of the Blackburn squad at the weekend. Tom Lawrence and Kiefer Moore, two other names that have been circulating. It seems like they're going for a championship All-Stars 11 in their recruitment process, but um, I think Scott Parker's quite keen to bring a winger into the club, given they've lost. Um, obviously, David Brooks continues to have treatment on his illness, and uh, Junior Stanislas has got a long-term injury as well. So I think they would like that, and a little bit of competition for Dominic Solanke, perhaps in the form of Kiefer Moore. Barnsley still look dead and buried. I just don't see any way they survive. If I'm being completely honest, I, I don't. I don't think there's anything they could do right now to to stay up. They're just devoid of confidence devoid of conviction in anything they do in both boxes and simply not good enough to stay in the division they've got no chance have they it's it's going to take an absolute miracle now it's as simple as that it's beyond miracle to have won two games all season by February is just shambolic in a word and when you compare it to last season has there ever been a bigger difference in form in the same league within such a short space of time, but it is what it is. One win since the second game of the season. Dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. Yeah, the uh, the Puyat Asbargi appointment has not had the desired effect. I think it's safe to say. Peterborough United nil, Sheffield United 2. Um, I thought Sheffield United were really good in this one. Completely dominant from pretty much start to finish. Blades have taken 15 points from seven games under Paul Heckingbottom, which is a fantastic start for him. And they were by far and away the best team. This this was, for probably one of the first times this season, Sheffield United looked like a team that had just come down from the Premier League, playing a League One side. The The standard between the two teams was, you know, stark. I thought Oliver Norwood in midfield pulling the strings was excellent. Um, but again, from a Peter point of view, just going, like, they've, they're playing for, obviously, 3-4-1-2. You've got a number 10 and two strikers centrally. Get one of them to just sit on him and just stop him dictating the game a little bit. It's just, poor in-game management or, or even seeing that before the match that clearly Norwood's the one that's going to get hold of the ball from deep and try and dictate play. Um, Jaden Bogle was excellent as well. He's definitely been one of the standouts from the Paul Heckingbottom reign. He's been in the team consistently and he's been excellent down that right-hand side. Lovely um, dip of the shoulder and double step over to, to work a chance on his left foot, which was um, spilt by Stephen Bender and, and cleared away. But he looks bright and with Norwood spraying passes left and right to him, Sheffield United looked to cut above. It looked like a little bit of an FA Cup tie, if I'm being quite brutally honest. 
Um, and, you know, it's an important clean sheet for them as well. As I say, 15 points from seven, which is automatic promotion form. Of course, they've got to sustain that run. And of course, Billy Sharp, the man, championship top goal scorer since it was rebranded in 2004, is it? Um, since it was rebranded. Yep. He is the all-time championship top scorer of 122 now. And you can see the anticipation on the goal. It, you know, it's it's not good defending again. It's not well cleared. But as soon as it comes out, chest trap, finish low into the corner, really nice. And then just awful defending from the resulting, uh, from the following corner later in the game to let Basham have a free header and um, Callum Morton couldn't sort his feet out and put it into his own net. So really worrying from a Peterborough point of view. Sheffield United, really good, class above. Um, and they, you know, it's not a million miles off they could get in the post if they can sustain this level of form. No, not at all. They've certainly gone about their business quite quietly, I think, to be honest with you. I don't think it's really attracted as much praise as it ought to have had, including the, the last game of Slavisa Chikanovic's tenure, that 1-0 win at Reading. They've won six of the last eight games now. I think it's gone under the radar quite somewhat. Obviously, back-to-back clean sheets now, back-to-back wins. Paul Heckingbottom, for me, is certainly defying the odds so far. It was a very critical appointment when it was done. But so far, he, he's proven that he was the man for the job and, and credit to him. Like you say, the win at Peterborough on Saturday was a, a very assured, solid away victory. And, and like you said, actually, now, you, now you've mentioned it, it did kind of have the feel to an FA Cup tie, now you mention it. It was a good way of a good way of putting it that. So yeah, I you think try. I think the the blades uh, the blades could be onto something. It's important, obviously, not to get too carried away, but they've shown signs of life after obviously a very indifferent start to the season. And like you say, they're not a million miles away from the top six, and with that race seemingly going to go right down to the wire with so many teams in it. Sheffield United will find the chances. Six points adrift at the moment. They've got a couple of games in hand on Middlesbrough, three games in hand on West Brom. They've got a chance. And Paul Heckingbottom, I think, deserves a lot of credit for the way he's gone in there after being such a such a critical appointment, shall we say, and was frowned upon by so many Sheffield United supporters. And understandably, I think I think he's done very, very well in the circumstances. And considering how stop start a period it's been for Sheffield United and the fact that they had so many games called off between the start of the Christmas period in mid-January. I think he's done well to keep the momentum going. So, fair play to him. Looking good for Sheffield United. As for Peterborough, I mean, it's just it's just not clicking for them, is it? Nothing will nothing will fall for them. They don't look like a side that's going to be able to beat anybody con- convincingly and go on a run of form that's going to drag them away from any sort of danger. I mean, Johnson Clark-Harris, he looks a shadow of the player he was last year. Clearly not accustomed to the step up in, in uh, quality that he showed in League One last season. But despite all of that, they remain only two points from safety. So they've got a chance. They have a game in hand on Reading. So they're not out of it, not by any stretch. But the loss of Suriki Dembele, as we record on Sunday, looks like he's heading to Bournemouth on deadline day. That'll be a blow for them. But they've got to find a way to get wins on the board and quickly because at the end of the day, they've not been good enough. And coming back to that old chestnut again, Cannot understand the decision to give Darren Ferguson a long-term contract when they did. Yeah, very strange. For me, I think they're pretty doomed because we've we've covered in note they can't defend. We to be fair, coming into the season, we knew they couldn't defend. We knew they wouldn't keep many clean sheets. They've conceded fifty-five goals this season. But it's the it's, opposite it's end. That's, it's the opposite end that's completely blown my mind a little bit because they've only scored twenty-three goals in twenty-seven games. That's really poor. That makes them the lowest scorers in the division. That's under a goal a game. And 
I predicted them to finish 19th, but I knew they conceded goals, albeit I didn't think to this extent. It's the opposite end of the pitch, actually. It's the lack of goals they've scored, which has caught me on the hop and left me a little bit surprised. You know, Jack Marriott's well, been I... injured for most of the season. They've not been able to get a tune out of Johnson Clark Harris. Sirikki Dembele's um... probably been their best offensive player. But he's, you know, obviously he's had the contract wrangling going on since before the summer. So he was never someone they were going to be desperately able to rely on. They just, just not, you know, they concede too many and don't score enough. It's a recipe for relegation. Yeah. Well, I'd got them in 20th, so at the minute, not too far out. But like you said, they, you expected more from them going forward, didn't you? Because they scored so many goals in League One last season with the players that they got. And you really thought that those players, particularly in home games, shall we say, would have been able to do the damage. But it's just not clicked for them. And like you say, I think they're in they're in deep trouble. But it's not impossible. They can still get out of it. But for me, they're not showing the signs that they can do it. Not at the minute, anyway. No, in a different season, I think they'd be dead and buried, to be honest. It's only because Reading yeah. is so poor, they've still got a chance. Only won four of their 13 home games as well, which is a concern. Two games to finish us off with. Uh, Middlesbrough won, Coventry nil. Five home straight wins for Middlesbrough. Three goals conceded in their last eight games into the top six, the Chris Wilder effect. Um, there wasn't a great deal in this game. It was another low margin one, but Chris Wilder's got a, a very nice habit of getting these low margin wins, certainly at the Riverside Stadium. Um, Florian Balogun off the bench to provide the assist for Andres Sparar, which was the uh, the little bit of quality which they needed. And that's why, you know, you play 40k a week for someone on loan from Arsenal. Yeah, absolutely. And Balogun is a player that I've seen quite a bit of in, in video clips and things like that from my time covering Arsenal quite frequently. And he's a player that I think has got potential to shine, but obviously he's got competition for places at the Riverside. But for Middlesbrough overall, by all accounts, they had to fight for this one. I saw a lot of rave reviews from Middlesbrough fans saying how well Coventry played. thought they were one of the best sides that had been to the Riverside all season. So... A big win for Borough and it keeps that run going. It's five successive home wins now, four clean sheets as well in that time. Really made the Riverside a fortress since Chris Wilder's gone in there. And Chris Wilder continues to do Chris Wilder things. I mean, I watched the game against Blackburn last Monday evening and Middlesbrough were very unfortunate not to get anything from that game. Matt Crooks with a, a few good big chances towards the end, had one cleared off the line and on another day that ends 1-1. So Borough, I mean, they had a minor blip against Rovers, but... When you take into account what Wilder's done so far, been a terrific, terrific job so far. And I don't know if you've seen it, but I've seen it this afternoon that apparently, as we record on Sunday evening deadline day tomorrow, Mills were looking at a deal to get Jeff Hendrick through the door. I don't know if you've seen that one. So that could be quite a big signing for them and beefs the midfield up a little bit. So it's going to be interesting to see what Borough can do. But as I say, this playoff race is so widely contested. I think there's a very good chance that Borough could be in there come the end of the season. It's going to be interesting to watch the neutral, that's for sure. What I like about Middlesbrough is the consistency in selection. You can name pretty much that starting eleven, and this was something they did at Sheffield United, to be fair. I, you can tell what that starting eleven is going to be with one, maybe two alter, uh, alterations. Lumley in goal, Dyke Steele, Fry, McNair back three, Isaiah Jones, um, Housen, uh, Crooks, Tavernier, and then... Um, Neil Taylor potentially at left wing back or Mark Bowler, they've got options down that side and then you're looking at a choice of Sparrow and then you're looking at one of Balogun, Watmore or uh, Connolly potentially up front so they've 
apart from a couple of positions, it's it's very consistent in terms of selection, and I think that's what's certainly helping them defensively. And they've got good ball players in that back three too. It's a nice balance, and Chris Wilder's doing a great job there. Credit to Coventry as well. They, they played well in this game. They'll play worse this season and win, I think it's fair to say. That's all the victories, but... Seeing as we've only got, we only had seven games to talk to, I've got one of the draws that I'm just desperate to talk about, and that's Derby 2, Birmingham City 2, because what a match. Unbelievable scenes at Pride Park in terms of the protest before the game, which obviously we've well well documented on this podcast about the struggles of Derby County. Um, Birmingham unhappy with their ownership. And I thought Birmingham played really well up to about the 80th minute, to be honest. Um, Lyle Taylor's a really smart loan addition I have to say I think and he took his goal really well nice combination play with Scott Hogan for the second goal and I can see some quality in that front three of Hernandez playing alongside Hogan and Taylor Taiti Chong to come back into that mix and all of a sudden they look a better force going forward but they still have the uh, the tendency as Birmingham City have done for many years to absolutely collapse lovely goal from Luke Plange really nice finish and then what about the what about the equaliser? Christian Bielik back in his first appearance for over a year. A bicycle kick, would you call it a bicycle kick? It's almost like a scissor over the top of his head into the back of the net. Outstanding is what it was. The finish, the contact and the way it hit, it was like that Rooney over a kick they did against Manchester City. And obviously that's quite ironic <laughs> with him watching on. He's, somehow I think he's managed to dislocate his shoulder or he certainly injured his shoulder doing that, which is... Just typical Derby look, isn't it? Especially if it rules him out for some minutes. But I don't think he'll care, to be honest. What a moment. Pride Park erupts and Derby just don't know when they are beaten. And this was just a great game. It's sad that the two clubs have got such off-field issues because two two decent sides as well at championship level. And we'd like to see them thriving. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, I didn't see all of the game. Um, but Birmingham, for the most part, from what I saw, were were very, very good, I must admit. I thought they controlled the game well. Obviously, they got the very early goal through Lyle Taylor and it kind of took the, st- it took the sting out of Derby a little bit. They were kind of rattled by that. They didn't really know what to do. And Birmingham, strangely enough, I thought didn't capitalise on it enough, even though they did go to and look at the smart finish from Scott Hogan, which was a terrific finish, it must be said, even though you've got a question that Derby defending. And then, obviously, Derby, as they've done throughout the season, they never, ever say die. They are never done. And that is translating from the stands to the pitch and vice versa in the situation that they're currently in. And Christian Bielik, I mean, wow, what what a finish, what a moment. And when you think about it, all the trouble that Derby are facing at the minute and the uncertainty, and I, I say this obviously not as a Derby supporter, it must be so so worrying knowing that, not knowing if you're going to have a football club to go and support within a few weeks' time or whatever it could be. The fact that what Wayne Rooney has done on the pitch is its staggering, to be quite honest with you. Whether they go up or go down or whatever, whatever happens, stay up, should I say, rather than go up. If if they get the chance to survive the season and whatever, for me, Wayne Rooney deserves manager of the season. I honestly do believe it. For what he's had to put up with him and deal with, it's outstanding. 28 games played, 23rd in the league, all right. Points deduction, obviously, put them in that place. Eight defeats. The goal difference is zero. Peterborough above the minus 32. Barnsley beneath the minus 25. You have got to give huge amounts of credit to these players for the attitude that they've shown, the effort they've produced, and the fans, they've played their part. Of course they have. And Pride Park was rocking on Sunday. Absolutely rocking. Full sellout. 
and credit to the Birmingham fans as well. Obviously, they're having to put up with with worries of their own. Not quite at Derby's extreme, but not exactly plain sailing at St Andrews at the minute. But for me, Derby Wayne Rooney, it's a match made in heaven. Credit to him for turning the Everton job down. By all means, wouldn't have been likely they had much money to spend at that job. But when you're a die-hard Everton supporter, he probably would have jumped at the chance. But he said no, and you can feel that connection. He wants if he gets the chance to see the season through. If he keeps them up, purely on merit of what they've done, he, he deserves a statue outside Pride Park. There's one of Brian Clough and Peter Taylor outside Pride Park. Could Wayne Rooney join them in bronze? I mean, what what an heroic effort. For his first managerial gig as well, I mean, I take my hat off to him. He's, he's defied expectations. And you'll remember how critical I was when he got the job. Didn't understand it at all. But my word, what an effort. And I mean, Derby's players credit to them. They'd be an absolute credit to that football club. And I just hope that everything gets sorted out for them because it's not nice to see rival fans joke about it saying, ah, oh, let them go under. We're not bothered. We're not bothered. No, it's bang out of order to say that. If it were your club, you'd be devastated. And for every single one of them Derby supporters, they must be going through hell right now because to lose a football club is just, it's like losing a limb, isn't it? People say it's only football. It's a lot more than that. And to a city the size of Derby, Elliot, of course, a city you know well, Spent your time there at university. It's a it's a massive part of the fabric of that city, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Um, and I echo exactly what you said. Yeah, many a many a decent afternoon spent at Pride Park whilst at university, and hopefully they they get the support they need from the the relevant parties off the pitch because we don't want to see that football club go under. Um, not one bit. Plenty of interesting stuff in the draws as well this weekend. Fulham won, Blackpool won. Blackpool rode their luck a little bit, it has to be said. Um, at 1-0, Fulham created 2.2 xG, but uh, Josh Bowler certainly likes playing against Fulham, doesn't he? And he, he got the, the equaliser, which got them a point. Um, our thoughts, of course, go out to Paul Parrish, the supporter taken ill during the game, and unfortunately, he did pass away due to a heart attack after that incident. The game was obviously stopped for a period of time, and our thoughts do go out to Paul's family. Preston 2, Bristol City 2, um, two lovely finishes from a, from a Bristol City perspective from Chris Martin and Semenyo, that front three that we spoke about last week, Semenyo, Martin and Vyman, producing the goods once again. Um, 95th minute equaliser from Emil Rees Jakobsen, though, a pretty good goal in its own right, um, which denied Bristol City a first away win since October, which had gone under the radar a little bit in my head. Um, Huddersfield Town won, Stoke City won, probably the worst piece of refereeing I've ever seen, maybe, for that Josh Caroma tackle, because... That is an assault that, that he should have been absolutely sent off about four times. And then to make Matt's worse from a Stoke perspective, Tom Lees gave away an absolute stonewall penalty that wasn't given um, after a foul on, I think it was Jacob Brown, who obviously then made amends by smashing one into the top corner to earn Stoke a point. But yeah, Karoma should have been off the pitch after four minutes, I think it was. He then scored, obviously, to add insult to injury and Stoke should have had a stonewall penalty, so... Not ideal from their perspective. And then finally, Luton Town nil, Blackburn Rovers nil. Um, Rovers have, have struggled in the last few weeks when they've missed key p- personnel. You know, they missed Lewis Travis when they went to Hull and lost. Um, they missed Jack Rothwell this weekend. Ben Brereton Diaz as well was out of the team. And uh, Luton were missing Adebayo and Cameron Jerome, Mr. Sitter. So both teams missing their best players and probably not that big a surprise at end of goal, if we're being honest. And that rounds off this weekend's Championship Breakdown. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm going to end the podcast now with our shocks and bankers for next weekend. George, what have you got? 
Well, pretty slim pickings this uh, coming weekend, isn't it, with the FA Cup to come? Yeah. So, in terms of a in terms of a banker this weekend, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Paul Hacking, Botman, Sheffield United to get a win at Birmingham in the Friday night game. Can see the Blades continuing that good run of momentum that they've got going on at the minute. And for a shock this weekend, even though they've not been in the best of form of late, I quite fancy Swansea to beat Blackburn on Saturday evening. So, gonna go with those two for the coming weekend. Swansea is a shock, and Sheffield United is my banker. Yeah, I've got the same banker as you, George. I'm going to go for Sheffield United to win at Birmingham after their positive start under Paul Heckingbottom and their win at Peterborough at the weekend. And for my shock, I'm going for Bristol City to win at Blackpool. Um, I feel that Bristol City's performances in recent weeks certainly offensively have been much better. And I just, I'm feeling much more positive about Bristol City than I have probably for, for a while. And I think that might be the case for some of the supporters as well. I like the look of the Semenu Vyman Martin front three. And I think that Nigel Pearson's doing a decent job there in, in all sense. I saw some reports this week that Neil Warnock had been linked with a move to go back to, to Ashton Gate, which I thought is bizarre. I think Nigel Pearson is clearly trying to rebuild there. And that's not not something we'd you know particularly renown Nigel Pearson for doing. So I think he deserves some credit for sticking around and trying to take on a bit more of a project job rather than looking for an instant championship success, which I think his... CV would would deserve, and I think he'd be fair to expect. So that would be that was just a very non, strange non-starter for me. We'll see what develops there. So yeah, Bristol City to win at Blackpool and Cardiff uh, and Sheffield United to beat Birmingham as my banker, and that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. If you do enjoy the podcast, please make sure you are subscribed in all your usual podcast apps, and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at Champ Chat Pod Twenty Four. Sharing the podcast helps go a long way to helping us reach new listeners. So if you do enjoy the weekly breakdowns, please drop a retweet on the episodes as soon as they go live. And you can support this podcast through our Ko-Fi page, contributing the cost of a cup of coffee towards our monthly overheads on a one-off basis. The link to donate is in the podcast description if you do feel so inclined. Have a great week and we'll catch up with you again next Monday for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.